All right, welcome to the Cartoon Caption Contest podcast. I am Vin Coca. With me is Beth Lawler and Paul Nesha. And on part two of today's episode, we will be speaking with New Yorker cartoonist Kamran Hafiz, who has the winners in this week's New Yorker Caption Contest, Contest 769. We will discuss the winner with him, which was his favorite book is A Farewell to Arms, so don't get too close. So we will discuss that with the cartoonist in part two. But right now, we will jump into the finalists of Contest 771, the Drew Dernovich cartoon, with the couple sitting on the couch, and around them are a bunch of men with metal detectors. Uh, the three finalists are Honey, The Remote is in Your Hand, Don't Worry About It, I Wasn't Going to Say Yes Anyway, and You Looked Under the Cushions, right? Beth, what are your take on these finalists? Um, I think they're all pretty good. I like them. I think they're decent, pretty strong. Um, none, uh, none of them are a, like a, a pun. So that, so that was good, I thought. And I was just kind of surprised by the first and third captions. They seem a little similar to me. Not exactly similar, but the remote is in your hand and you looked under the cushions. Just kind of has the same type of yeah. feel to me. Um, so I was kind of surprised that they chose two uh, that kind of have that same theme. But I think they're all decent. I think that I'm going to vote for uh, the third one. You looked under the cushions, right? Just because I just think that's the funniest. It's kind of I like those oblivious type captions. And I think that that one hits it the best. Yeah, I thought these were all uh, no home runs, but mm-hmm. kind of hard to say that any of them are particularly bad. They're all worded well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all very decent. I don't really love any of them, but it's hard to really speak neg- negatively on either one of them. They're all decent captions. Uh, I don't think they picked any that are great, but hard to argue with these. They're not very bad. Well, I, I don't like the first one. So that's, I mean, the don't worry about it. I wasn't going to say yes anyway. And you looked under the cushions, right? Those those are okay. But the first one, honey, the remote is in your hand. She also has a remote in her hand. So that just mm-hmm. doesn't work for me because it's they're both holding remotes. And mm-hmm. the person saying it, the remote, and it's... I think it doesn't work with the cap with the cartoon. It's like, I, I guess maybe I'm being picky with that, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me because they're both holding remotes and one person is saying the remote is in your hand when they're both holding remotes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's valid. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't love it, but again, it's, yeah. it's not worded poorly. Right. It, it's a technicality that I'm looking at the drawing. It's like, you're writing a caption for this drawing, mm-hmm. but because they both have remotes, it doesn't really work for this drawing. So that's, mm-hmm. it takes points off for that caption for me. Uh, yeah. The second one, I, I looked up uh, what that was originally, and the New Yorker actually made a couple changes to that one. Uh, originally, there was a, a comma between uh, right after the it, don't worry about it, comma, it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to say yes anyways. And the yes was in quotation marks. So they did two things to this, took off quotation marks and put an M dash in there to place the comma. Oh, wow. So once again, they're, they're messing with the caption and it's like, is that something they should be doing? Yeah. Uh, 
that's we I don't think they should be messing with the caption, but I don't think they messed with it. Uh, right, it's it's punctuation. Well, turning the comma to the dash isn't really messing with it, but I get your point in that if the submitter didn't submit a grammatically correct caption, then maybe you shouldn't choose it. Move on down the list. That's what I'm wondering, because I always try to make sure I, I punctuate correctly and really work on that. And I see something that comes along and they make a couple changes to it. It's like, you know, do I really need to concentrate that hard on the punctuation if they're just going to, you know, make it the way the New Yorker wants punctuation to be? Well, is the New Yorker right? I'm going to guess they're very smart and they are. But should the yes be in quotes? I think the, I think the rule is I wasn't going to say yes anyway. If you weren't going to say exactly yes, then it has to be in quotes. But if you were going to say, you know, in other words, if you were going to say, I would never marry you, you know what I mean? If you weren't going to say yeah. the exact word yes, then it does not have to be in quotes. If you were going to say the exact word yes, then it has to be in quotes. Right. So I guess this one could have went either way. Right. So, so maybe they should. And I, I'm guessing New Yorker has a style that they use. So it's like they make sure that everything they publish is in their style. Yeah. So I, I can see why they're doing it. It's just like it for me, it just feels weird when they do yeah, it. Yeah, it kind of it kind of changes the whole caption. Like if, if that were my caption and they did that to it, I wouldn't feel like it was my caption anymore. You know, you know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. know that I'd be as proud of myself for it because. I wouldn't really feel like it was my actual caption. Yeah, they fixed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, any, anyways, having said all that, that's the one I'm voting for. <laughs> <laughs> that's so it. I, I like it. It's just, you know, it's like, huh. Like, you know, huh. <laughs> I like that it, it's a, it was an extremely common theme. Probably 20% of the captions had to do with a engagement ring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I like that this, was about that but didn't actually say anything about a ring they kind of danced around it which i which i like yeah yeah uh, yeah so that's the one I, that's the one i voted for as well yeah i liked i liked mine actually which uh your realtor sure does a thorough appraisal and it was in the top of crowdsourcing so they saw it uh, <laughs> they didn't like it enough to choose it but yeah. <laughs> at least like knowing that they saw it a lot of yeah. times it gets buried i don't even think the judges gave me a shot but I had a shot on this one. They definitely saw it. Didn't choose it. Um, yeah, that, that one we're talking about, that came in. I looked at the data for that one. That came in at 35. So that was actually the highest one up for this group. The other two were at 19 and 22 for their placement in the crowdsource. Mine was at 32. <laughs> 32. So, what was yours? Uh, sometimes you have to be the change you want. Oh, is it that? Yeah, I remember that. Well, mine did absolutely horrible in this one. It was ranked at 5,984. Wow. Ouch, Beth. So they didn't, you did not get a shot. They did not see yours. Oh my God. So bad. What was it? 5,984. It was, this is the worst booty call ever. Oh, the booty. Yeah. Booty call. I would have thought it would have done better than the crowdsourcing, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was funny. Oh, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> don't use All right, so three, three decent picks. Um, I don't think anyone hit it out of the park, but these are three yeah. hard to argue with picks. All worthy for the first one. I'll argue with the first one. <laughs> well, but you can't argue that it's, it's worded correctly. Yeah, it's it, it, 
it's, it's punchy and it is a joke. It yeah. is, maybe the joke's not perfect because of the contents of the cartoon, but it is a joke and it's worded well. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll give it that. Wait, what's funny to me about that one is honestly, like they're both, why would they both be holding remotes yeah. if they were remotes? Like those look like phones to me because they, they could legitimately be both holding their own phone. Yeah, but like I, I, when I sit on the couch and watch TV with my husband, he controls the remotes most most of the time. But but if he hands that job over to me, then I control the remote. You know, like we don't share the remotes and each hold one. You know, yeah. and have have like dueling remotes. You know, <laughs> like it just doesn't. That doesn't really make sense. They're definitely cell phones. And for the listener's sake, we will have Drew Dernovich on when this is in the winter phase. Drew will be on to uh, chat with us. So we'll find out for sure, but I'm certain those are cell phones. Yeah. And I would imagine you looked under the cushions, right? is probably close to what his original caption was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. All right. So a semi-satisfying week in the finalist phase, at least not as unsatisfying as the uh, Clyde here handles returns uh, (laughs) finalists. Did you like that one, Beth? Did you like that one? (laughs) (laughs) That was your favorite, right? All right, let's move Don't get on to started again. <laughs> contest 773. A couple sitting in a restaurant. They're upside down and the water is spilling from the table uh, down to the ceiling, I guess. So they're upside down and gravity seems to only apply to the water. Paul, what was your take on this cartoon? Oh, Boy, I frustrated as I was that we have yet another upside down cartoon. Yeah, I, I hate this cartoon. cartoon is probably next week. <laughs> upside down sheep is going to be next week. <laughs> no, I, I do not like this cartoon. It, 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 it hurts just looking at it for me. I, I actually turned it upside down on my phone so I could see it the other way. And it's like, oh, that didn't help at all. Um, it, well, what I found interesting is that it was very similar to what I thought was the uh, previous weeks where you had a floating man. So there's somebody floating up above. So this is kind of a similar theme where there's something well it would be up above as the cartoon was turned upside down. So it, it felt somewhat similar in some way. I don't, I don't know if I can just explain it well, but it just felt like two weeks in a row there's a cartoon where things were going up or floating or doing something weird like that. Anyways, I this is one again where I, I entered in the first minute again because I did not want to have to think. Oh. Yeah, first minute again. I did not want to think about this cartoon any longer than that. What does that mean when you say first minute? When like a cartoon is over? When it ch- switches over, uh, I, I assume, you know, it's like uh, for my time about five after midnight here that it switches over. Somewhere. No, it, it switches over right now at one o'clock in the morning. Here. Well, midnight for you. Right. Midnight so it's you. it's right about that time. And I submitted it a few minutes after midnight. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, as I said, I didn't want to think about it any longer. I don't like it. It, it hurts to look at it. And I'm happy I submitted it. I don't know if it's a good caption. Uh, I had these drinks go right to my head. So oh, that's the one you submitted? Yeah. These drinks go right to my head. So... It's, it's the first thing I thought of, and it's like, okay, I'm done. Click off that page and get out of there. So we will see. I don't think you'll be the only one to submit no. drinks going to the head. 
No, but I will not be the only one doing that one, but I was the first. That's what I'm about to say. So if <laughs> that wins and it's not you, we're going to have to, yeah, if you yes. submitted that at midnight, we're going to have to make some phone calls to the New Yorker because I don't <laughs> think we'll be the only one to submit that, but yeah. there is no chance someone submitted it first. Right. Right. So I had a whole conversation with somebody on the, a member of the Facebook group within the Facebook group um, about this cartoon being, this made my brain hurt to even try to think about it, that the, the people are on the floor and they're upside down. So if they were on the floor, the, the water or whatever is in their cups is actually floating up, not dripping out yeah. of, the, of the cups, which made no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> Because how would how would the water float up and hit the ceiling and splash like that and puddle on the ceiling? There wouldn't it's be not a floating puddle up, on it's dropping floor. down. Yeah. Don't write any captions about floating no, up. I, I didn't, but it, it made my brain hurt to even yeah. think of it like that. And the argument was that the cityscape behind it is also is is upside down. So if that is a window, it's showing that the world outside is upside down also. But I looked at that as a painting. Well, there's, a, there's a doorway there, too. Is that a doorway or a window? Yeah. Well, there's a window behind them, but to the side is a doorway, mm-hmm. an entryway. So from their perspective, they're correct. You know, the world around them is correct, except their drinks are going up to the ceiling from their perspective. So that's why it's like, I don't want to think about this anymore because that's, you know, yeah. am I writing it from their perspective or it's from the viewer who's looking at the cartoon, who's seen it, that they're upside down, where from their perspective, they're right side up. So it's like, how, did, how, how, how was anybody supposed to write something for that? Yeah. The, the argument with this person on, well, it wasn't even an argument. It was just him trying to convince me um, that persuasion that he was trying to use with me was that we're supposed to write captions from the people, the subject in the cartoons perspective. So we, we should be writing a cartoon from this perspective yeah. of them seeing the liquid floating up. <laughs> but it, it just, it just made no sense to me at all. And the more I tried to think about it, the worse it got. So I, I didn't come up with a um, a caption about that at all. And don't bother. I had I had a bunch of ideas, and um, my first one was just a pun. Um, I hear this place has high turnover, mm-hmm. but yeah. I thought that was going to be really popular, so I I didn't submit that one. And then my next idea was the old um, Maxwell House commercial. It's good to the last drop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if many people. You know, people much younger than me might not remember that at all. And then my next idea was, I hope my shirt stays tucked in. But that was just silly. And um, and then now the seat belts make sense. So then I scrapped all that and I ended up submitting. I hope they have free free refills. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think that was the best out of all of, all of my ideas. So. I have my fingers crossed for that. I would have flipped it, um, have him say, 
I wish your shirt wasn't tucked in. Oh, uh, that's a better yeah. variation of the joke. That is that's better. Some, <laughs> add some sex into it. Very good. It's always she funny. Shirt is tucked in. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, actually. I didn't submit yet. I never really do. I usually submit Saturday morning when I wake up and have my coffee, spend, you know, 15 minutes and I choose one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have it down to these three. I'll eat anything that's not nailed down, which I like uh, uh, because it's a common expression that has a different meaning here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The other is quick call 611. I like that one. Mm-hmm. And the last, which will be common, so I, I won't end up doing this one, is uh, let's order the next round dry. Yeah. But I think that will be common, whereas I think not nailed down in 611 will be one of one. I don't think those will have any uh, yeah. competitors. Yeah. I like both of them, but I think I like 611 the best. Yeah. That's, that's the one I'm like, towards. just kind of makes you think, you know, like, yeah. you, and it would look good as a caption. It would look good with the cartoon written out. Um, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I'll like type it into the box to see what the caption looks like and not actually submit it. Um, oh, that's a good idea, actually. Back it out. You know, sometimes yeah. if, I'm, if I'm playing with two different captions that I want to submit or I'm not sure of certain punctuation or wording, um, I'll do that. I mean, you just have to be careful not to hit submit. <laughs> but um, but I, I do that fairly often just to see what it would look like. Yeah, that is a good idea. So sometimes it, it helps you make the decision when you're, when you're up in the air. Yeah. I will, uh, I will likely go with one of those two. Yeah. And, uh, I'll reach out to Lonnie Millsap to get his original caption. So we can at least share that. We probably yeah. won't have him on again, but um, I will be interested to know what his original caption was. I'll ask him after the contest. You know, yeah. his- and I think both of you were trending high this week in the crowdsourcing. So I did yeah. not get the email, but I was, uh, I didn't either. Uh, Mm. So and I, I actually looked right before we came on here and I mine dropped out. So I don't know. It, well, at this point it's moot. They picked, right. They picked, yeah. Uh, they at least picked their top. I don't know how it works. One day we'll find out, but they picked their top. I'll make it up 20 to bring to the editors to make their choice. So mm-hmm. they may not have made their choice yet, but they have their, their batch. So we'll see. It's usually Wednesday or Thursday to get the email. So right. we have so. till tomorrow. Yeah. And we shall we're, see. Yeah. And sometimes they've done it on Friday morning. So they have sent them the on last, Friday, which I don't know how they do that because yeah. I don't know how they get it in print two days later. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's probably they know what it is, but they don't contact the person until Friday morning. Yeah. Who do we have next week? Uh, Peter Vay, I think, coming back on to talk yeah. about. No, his... I'll find out whether or not mine's. Uh, you know, what place I'm in for my, uh, oh, that's right. Next week we'll find out. We're gonna, yeah. We're going to find out if you're a winner next week. Yeah. I, uh, I'm already a winner. So <laughs> I think that one should be a bunt. I will be really shocked if, um, I, if that's, that's not, that's how I felt at the winter mobile. You know, it's like, I thought it was locked and it's like, Nope. Mustard beat me out. Yeah. But yours is so good for that one. Yeah, oh it's, it's the absolute home run for that one. Uh, Absolutely, that will be a that will be a letdown big time if that's not the winner. Oh. Yeah, 
we will see. <laughs> but either way, that'll give us some banter to talk about next week. Um, that'll do it for this week. Stay tuned for part two coming up with Kamran Hafiz. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for jumping on. We really appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, we've wanted to have you on for a while. And now that you have a cartoon in the winter phase, we figured it was a good time to reach out. Yeah. Um, we usually like to start, if you don't mind, with just a quick uh, background of yours. I know a little from uh, reading on your website. But if you want to give us a little background, I, obviously, I know you've gotten to cartooning extremely young, it sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started uh, noticing that I had sort of an, an ability for drawing cartoons when I was about 10, 10, 11, something like that. And uh, I, you know, I decided at that time, I guess I was 11 or 12, that I wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, but uh, coming up with ideas uh, was, was hard, you know, and at that age, you're not really able to do that. I don't know if anybody is at that age. And so I kind of set it aside and then... Um, as I was older in university, uh, you know, I sort of took another look at it. And uh, of course, I had education and whatnot, which you need to generate ideas. And yeah, so I discovered a book by uh, a famous New Yorker cartoonist, Misha Richter, called The Cartoonist Muse. And, you know, it was a, it was a revelation to me that there was actually a book about how to write gags for cartoons. And uh once I read that, I understood how to do it. And then I was able to actually put the drawing and the ideas together and make cartoons. And you went to school for architecture, right? Uh, well, I have a bachelor of music degree. Uh, I did that first. And, uh, and then, you know, I realized by the end of it that I wasn't, you know, a great talent at music. So I, I turned to cartooning and uh, ended up going to Parsons School of Design to sort of get a formal education in visual mm-hmm. art. And from there, when I thought, oh, you know, architecture, you know, it sounds like, I mean, the idea of being an architect was attractive, I think more than, uh, you know, actually having a, an, a, an ability for it. But I did that for a year and then um, went back to cartooning again. So uh, I, I don't actually have a full education in architecture. I just did a year of it. Well, I guess you learned it's a lot more. I mean, drawing is yeah. uh, part of the skills you need to be an architect, right? And then there are... Uh, it is, but of course, course, it's much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so at, at, at roughly what age did you start really getting serious in cartooning and uh, submitting to The New Yorker and elsewhere? Okay. Well, I, it, I had a day job, which you kind of have to do as a cartoonist. And uh, I started out trying to get uh, uh, a syndicated comic strip going. Because, uh, you know, syndication can potentially make, you know, a significant income for a cartoonist. So I tried that first, um, but the humor was never strong enough. Uh, I didn't, like, have a really strong story or characters. Um, and I tried that a couple times. And then I eventually turned to just doing gag cartoons, which is what I knew I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And I started out the first uh, professional um gig I got was with Go Comics. Um, They gave me a digital syndication contract. 
which was to do um, uh, like three, three days a week on their site, I would produce a gag cartoon, you know, in color. And uh, that was like a, my first professional uh, gig as a cartoonist. And then that was 2008. And I did that uh, until 2010 when uh, it turned out that that was not really lucrative because on the online uh, you're not making the money that you do in print. Mm-hmm. So this is like a digital uh, thing. So, um, yeah, the monetization was not great uh, online. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm, you know, sort of, uh, uh, it's, I don't want to say uh, chained to my drawing board, but there is a sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it, but it's like uh, you're locked in to this, this thing as opposed to being a freelance cartoonist. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not making a lot of money and I'm locked into this thing and it's not really giving back much. So I I decided I would try the magazine market because I could be freelance, you know, make my own schedule, submit who I want to and sort of have freedom. And and then that was uh, January 2010 when I ended my digital syndication deal and I started submitting to the cart or to the New Yorker. I guess in about February of 2010, and I sold my f- first cartoon in April. So it, it happened pretty quickly for me. Yeah. So that was good. And, uh, you know, one morning I, I was, I would get up usually 10 30 or 11 and I was, uh, woken up by a phone call from Bob Mankoff at 10 in the morning, <laughs> which was kind of a surreal experience telling me that I just sold a cartoon to the New Yorker. So I was half asleep while I was talking to him for the first time. So that was a little surreal, but uh, yeah. Surreal and very unusual. I, uh, I've i never heard that they called to advise. It seems like it's always an email yeah. or a snail mail just saying, okay. Yeah. yeah. Phone call. This is the first Yeah, time. I got a phone call. So yeah, he was very supportive of, of whenever I met with him. Uh, I don't know what he was like with other cartoonists, but with me, you know, when I went to New York for the first time for a cartoon meeting, he was, yeah, it was really encouraging. And he said, you know, I, he said to me, I, I see you as potentially a regular in the magazine. And it was just a totally positive experience. Um, I didn't turn out to be a regular in the magazine because my writing isn't as strong, I think, as some cartoonists, but still it was a very positive experience. What and, was uh, your first cartoon that you sold? My first cartoon that I sold um, was Let's see. I can actually share the screen. Would that work for you guys? Yes. Great. Can you guys see that? And this this was the first sold? That was the very first sale. And uh, in those days, this was 2010, I actually would send the drawings in, uh, physically send them in, mail them in in an envelope. And this was the finish. This was uh, the rough drawing and the finish at the same time, like these days I'll do just rough sketches. I send those in, if it gets okay, then I go back to the drawing board and do a finished uh, cartoon, which is tighter, you know, has shading and whatnot. But when I was first submitting, I would just, you know, do the cartoon with shading and everything. And and yeah, that was it. Um, interestingly, it was never published. I'm not sure why. Uh, Still to this day, it's unpublished? Yeah, it was never it was never published in the magazine, and uh, because the guys who uh, buy the cartoons and the people who decide what goes in the magazine are two different people, 
two different groups of people. And I, you know, if their tastes are different, you know, you can, I've heard of some cartoonists selling and then it doesn't show up either ever, or maybe, you know, even five years later sometimes. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Yeah. This is, this is a great cartoon. I'm surprised they haven't run it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a pretty strong idea, I think. And that you was from it. 10 years ago? Yeah, that was 2010, yeah. Oh, it still works. <laughs> yeah, should, it's an evergreen. Describe it to the people who are listening. <laughs> Do you want to describe it, Cameron? Want to describe it? Yeah. Because okay, I see people are listening. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, so we have um, the old lady in a shoe, and she's uh, looking out from her shoe, from the top of her shoe. And uh, you can see some, there's some windows on the shoe. You see some little kids in there. And there's a man in a suit with a briefcase uh, uh, facing her. And, and behind her shoe is a giant. And we can only see the giant's legs. And uh, uh, the giant has one boot that's identical to the woman in the shoe's shoe. And on his other leg, he's missing a boot. And uh, the man in, in the suit is saying to the woman in the shoe, my client is prepared to make you a very generous offer on your home. So it's a visual gag. Yeah, you yes. really kind of have to see it. At this time, were you sending in 10 a week? Yeah, yeah. And so you're one of the, on the way better end of just drawers that the New Yorker has. So I assume 10 take you a very long time to do 10 finishes like this. Well, it would if I did them all like that. Uh, Nowadays, I just, I just do a quick sketch. Right. But at, at this time, you were doing, it sounds like, full, 10 yes. full finished cartoons. Yeah. And uh, when I first started out, I was basically working from morning till night to, uh, yeah, because you have to write the idea, which is hard. And then, of course, you have to draw them. So the first half of the day, I would spend writing. Second half of the day, you know, right up into the evening, I would draw. And, yeah, it was pretty time consuming. And uh, your process, for those who are interested, you have a fantastic website, ComranHafiz.com. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, a great blog. It's a really informative uh, website you have. And yeah, thank you. Yeah. You post a YouTube video of, of you actually drawing it so I can see how much goes into it. Looks like you start with pencil and then kind of trace the pencil sketch with a pen. That's right. Yeah. At the end. So it's. Yeah, it's a pretty involved process. I, a lot, I don't think I probably do more with the drawing process than most cartoonists. I have different stages. I have the pencil stage, I have the inking stage and I have the wash stage. So it usually takes me uh, about three days to do a finished drawing when I'm wow. doing with the New Yorker. Yeah. So uh, because I don't know. The drawing is important to me. It always has been my strength. Um, and I just really admire uh, the work of the early New Yorker cartoonists. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's a pleasure for me to, when I, when the drawing works out well, that really makes, it's really gratifying for me. So I put a lot into that stage. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, you've got really detailed work, but it's still clean when you look at it. It's just it's a nice balance in there and it's a really nice, nicely done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. To me, there's nothing better as a cartoonist than getting that marriage between a great idea and a great drawing. 
you know, that's, it's like the two things. And there's, you know, Bob Mankoff has pointed out that that's kind of a rarefied ability to be able to draw well and to write well. And um, I wouldn't say that I write well all the time, but I occasionally do come up with a decent idea. And when the two come together, it, it's a very good feeling. And so after you sold that first one, was it uh, off to the races? Did you start selling more and more? No, no, it wasn't off to the races. Uh, I don't think it ever has been off to the races for me because, uh, like I said, you know, writing is not my strong suit. Uh, I can do it, but not uh, in in the volume that you need to 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 be a regular in the magazine every week. Um, and so, so, again, learning from your website, you do or have at least in the past used gag writers. Yes, I, that's right. So that I can, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I do both. I, I write my own material and I fill it out with with gag writers. And I, you know, when I first started doing that, I thought, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with working as a team. You know, why not share my success success with others? And so that's kind of how I looked at it when I started doing that. And how does that process work? Do you send a writer kind of a cartoon that you did and say almost like a caption contest, like caption this? Or is it you kind of generate ideas together? Uh, no, actually, the gag writer cartoonist uh, setup has been around for a long time. It started early. In fact, the earliest cartoons at the New Yorker were uh, almost entirely, there were some exceptions, but it was mostly uh, commercial artists paired with uh, a writer. Uh, and in fact, it was often the editors of the magazine that wrote the cartoons. So it started out that way. Uh, and Back in those days, this is like the, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, it was pretty lucrative uh, job to sell cartoons to magazines because, you know, they didn't have, you know, online stuff. And mm -hmm. that was really how people uh, got, got their cartoons. And there were a lot more magazines. They paid more, you know, relative to the income at that time. So... Uh, yeah, that was a kind of a, a good business for people to be in back then. And, and that, so it, it's a, it's a long, there's a long uh, tradition of cartoonists and gag writers working together. So it's uh, very businesslike. It's professional. What they do is send me a batch of ideas mm -hmm. and I uh, look through them and I let them know uh, which ones I'm going to, which ones I'm going to hold, it's called. I'm holding uh, their gags. And what I do then is I just draw it. You know, I, I let them know what I'm going to use. And then I go to my drawing board and I, and I draw them and include them in my weekly batch. And then if they sell, uh, then as soon as I get paid, uh, they get uh, a percentage of that. Mm -hmm. So I don't actually work, you know, like call them on the phone and, right, right, right. and talk about stuff. Yeah, that's actually kind of a rarity these days for you to have a gag writer. We have not come across a cartoonist yet who, who still uses one. Is so that right? Okay. Yeah. So it is unusual now. Unless they're just not telling you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Because <laughs> I have heard that uh, there are more, you know, this, this was quite a few years ago. Somebody mentioned that there are more, I think it might have been Michael Maslin on his site he has a blog but he mentioned that there are more cartoonists using gag writers and actually are <laughs> admitting to it uh, so you never know you know yeah i that is the case because we know uh larry wood has done a little and i know van scott who i think you work with uh yes. has done one with other cartoonists so yeah there are certainly more than they let on <laughs> absolutely 
Uh, also, again, going back to your website, we're going to get into caption contests soon, but you, you for a short period of time, ran a caption contest off uh, your website. I did. Yeah, I was doing that for a while. Yeah. And how did that come about? Was that kind of just you had a few cartoons that you were having trouble captioning and thought maybe the public could take a swing at them? I think at that time, I was kind of trying to monetize my website. Um, and I thought, well, this would be a way to get people to come to the site and, uh, you know, give them something to, uh, and I was going to, I think I actually did have like a WooCommerce, WooCommerce platform and uh, was trying to sell, uh, you know, prints and stuff like that off of my website. Mm. So that was, that was the purpose of the caption contest was to bring eyeballs to the site. Yeah, I, I ended up finding it towards the end. Uh, okay. I had even I actually, forgotten that I was doing that. I won the very last one you did, so I didn't know if I was the reason you uh, decided did you? to pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I do recognize. I thought I recognized your name from somewhere. Yeah, it was a man on the phone at a, before a firing squad. Yeah. The caption was, leave a message at the bang. So did you, actually, you did, it sounds like, try to sell those. You put those in your weekly batch. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I was, that was going to be the, uh, the, uh, reward for the winner was that I would include it in the batch and see if we could sell it. Yeah, that's right. Um, that was, yeah, that was, uh, but I don't think I ever sold one from the caption contest and I didn't do it for very long. Yeah. There weren't many of them. Yeah. I don't even remember how I found it, but <laughs> I found it towards the very end. I know that. Jump cartoons. Did you do the daily cartoon for the new year? I did. Yeah, I did the daily cartoon while Donald Trump was. Uh, I think. Yeah, he. That was just the time that he was. It must have been 2016. Mm-hmm. Was that the first year? Yeah, I was doing it uh, for three months in 2016, I believe, and that was just before and I think just after he was elected. Yeah, so there was lots of material there. Yeah. <laughs> I have my share of Trump cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I thought you did a very good job with them. Oh, my, my favorite one of those is the one with the couple at the um, kitchen table, and they're saying that uh, they've moved, uh, they're reading a newspaper, and they've moved coverage of Trump's campaign to the comics section. That's, that's a great that's, one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was, I was happy with that. Was that hard to do to come up with material every day? Or? Oh yes, yeah. Actually, the daily cartoon that was that was hard because you you know your your deadline was like uh, twelve noon, I believe, for the next day, and uh, yeah, that was hard. And I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it actually, but somehow you know you just sit down seven in the morning and just read through the headlines, and uh, you know, it actually was kind of helpful for my writing process to be forced, you know, to come up with ideas like that, because I had to just find some way of doing it. And uh, I think that one of the most effective ways I found for myself was to find an article, a journalistic article, like in the New York Times or something like that, uh, and just read through it and sort of mine it for ideas, because good journalists will usually almost have gags in in a way in in their writing. And um, I could like combine that with something else and, and yeah, so that seemed to work. And so you were on every day, every weekday for three months straight? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was rough, um, you know, sometimes because creativity is not, and there's no guarantee, you know, some days you, you, it's, it's easy for some reason. And, and other days, you know, it's like, wow, I, I just can't think of anything. So. Wow. 
Yeah, you ever think of, boy, I really wish I didn't have to put this one out there, but you had to put that one out there? You uh, want to claw them back? <laughs> uh, not very often. Uh, I think I was able to scramble, you know, <laughs> at least one decent idea every day. I, I couldn't do that. Not for three months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was relieved actually when it was done. Uh, and it, it wasn't like it was hugely lucrative. It was almost like a pro bono thing that you do for the magazine at that time. It's changed now. Now, um, with uh, Emma Allen as the editor, she uh, uses, you know, like she has all the cartoonists submit every day, mm-hmm. right, instead of just one person, which is, you know, it's, it's uh, more effective. You're going to get a better result that way. Uh, but yeah, Bob's method was to assign it to a cartoonist. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some cartoonists turned it down because it was almost more like, a, a you know, uh, you, you know, doing Bob a favor. By yeah. do that. And it was sort of like, you know, there was a it was sort of this cycling around the different cartoonists. OK, I'm taking on the burden of doing the daily cartoon for the next three months. But yeah, three months seems like a really long time to have to do that. Yeah, uh, it wasn't three months for everybody. Uh, I I was doing well, so he let me keep going, or maybe he forgot that <laughs> he was supposed to push <laughs> or something. But yeah, I actually there were some cartoons I was happy with, and I got a lot of positive feedback from some of the staff at the magazine. So it was it was a good you know it was hard, but it was also good at times. Your, your artwork is so great. Did you ever um, think about doing covers or did you ever submit a cover? I Yes, actually, I did consider doing that because it pays more. Um, <laughs> but um, I, uh, yeah, I, tr- before I actually, before I even ever sold a cartoon at the New Yorker, I did uh, submit a cover idea. This was back when I was at Parsons, actually finished at Parsons School of Design. Um, just after I left there, I, I thought, well, you know, let me give it a shot, see what kind of feedback I get. But, uh, you know, I got a polite reply saying it, uh, nice artwork, but not what we're looking for. So, you know, it's, I, I know that that's a really hard gig to get. Uh, you know, the competition is pretty high. But, yeah. And they've got some amazing illustrators doing that work. Yeah. There is some crossover between the cartoonists and, and the cover artists. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how they were able to do that, but it, it probably helps to be in New York, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't hurt to go visit them face to face. I wouldn't be able to figure out what they're looking for because sometimes they're so different. Uh, you know, the covers, there's not like there's a s- consistent style. Sometimes it's like great pieces of art and sometimes it's strange. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the illustration field, like, I, you know, I, I did study illustration a bit at Parsons, but the illustration field is, is kind of like that. You like there's a certain style that will come in, a certain style of drawing that will come into style, so to speak, uh, magazine covers. And uh, and you but you can't sort of second guess it. You just have to develop your style and hope that it you know catches on. So it doesn't work to try to figure out what they're looking for, you know. Yeah. It doesn't work, doesn't work that way in cartoons either, by the way. <laughs> I've tried that. It doesn't, you know, you just got to do what's funny to you. And yeah. And so how about the caption contest? Do you, uh, do you like the caption contest? You've had quite a few cartoons running the contest now. Uh, I, uh, 
I like getting a cartoon in the caption contest. You know, I always like uh, publishing a drawing in the New Yorker because it gives me a chance to really stretch stretch out on the artwork. Um, but you know, coming up with an idea for a caption contest is hard. It's like it's like the opposite of the way that I work. Mm-hmm. You know, where you start with the drawing and then come up with an idea. I, I wouldn't. I'm not sure I would be able to do that. Actually, you know, it's. I have a lot of respect for someone like Lawrence Wood, who's very good at that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've tried it myself. It's. It's like, like I said, it's the opposite of the way I do things. I write first, and then you know, if I come up with a good idea, then I draw it, which is easier. Mm-hmm. Do you tend to follow it when you have a cartoon in the caption contest to kind of go see what the finalists are? And oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's and the one for this most recent one was very good, actually. Uh, we had the opposite reaction to this one. Actually. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, we really didn't like these captions for this beer uh, cartoon. We were kind of surprised by the picks that uh, the New Yorker did for them. Well, you know, I I don't look at the cartoon caption contest on a regular basis, but. Uh, most of the time, I'm not impressed with the ideas. Maybe it was because it was my cartoon that I liked the idea. <laughs> so the winner was his favorite book is A Farewell to Arms, so don't get too close. I assume that's the one you liked? Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, maybe that was just relative to some of the, you know, not-so-funny captions I've seen uh, on other cartoons. <laughs> For, for this one, the, the man, um, the customer in the bookstore, you can't see one of his arms. Did you, was that intentional? Uh, no, no, it's just a three-quarter view. So uh, no, there wasn't any uh, intention on my part. To, I guess the, whoever came up with that sort of picked up on that, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, there were other captions on there that said that his arm was missing. So <laughs> people call, people caught on to that and we're trying to make something out of it. Yeah. I did kind of forget to put his uh, right hand down there. Usually like if I have a side view like that, I'll draw the right hand sort of hanging next to the leg just so you know he has an arm. But yeah, I guess I kind of forgot to do that there. Okay. Could be you, uh, do you recall what your caption was for this original? Yeah, it was actually supplied by a gag writer. Uh, and it was, we used to have a cat. <laughs> that was actually Paul yeah. predicted that that was your <laughs> that that was your uh, original caption. That's very funny. Really? Okay. I knew it had a cat in it. That's uh, my caption was uh, I'm allergic to cats. That's what I wrote for this one. So I, I knew it had to be a cat in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, cats. You know, it was actually um, the drawing was based on a bookstore in Vancouver where I used to live, and uh, I used to. It was a neighborhood that I frequented often, and they had a really cool cat in there. And uh, that seems to be a common thing to have a cat in a bookstore, kind of a trope. Yeah, I was unaware of that, but Paul schooled me on it. And uh, it's funny that he was able to predict that that was your original caption. I wasn't aware of it either at first, but um, once once Paul told us about it, we caught on quickly. And I just said Google cat, Google bookstore cat. And boom, all these images came up. Yeah, you notice that too, yeah. Well, I love that drawing. That drawing is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I was pleased with the crocodile. He came off well. It's great. It's really great. And we did also pick up on the name of the bookstore, um, Kestrel. That's, that's the name of the bookstore in Vancouver? That's right, yeah. 
And in fact, um, Bob emailed me, Bob Mankoff emailed me um, to ask me what the original caption was for that cartoon. <laughs> really? Because that's, he, uh, oh, I guess he still follows, but yeah, yeah he's obviously not the editor of the New Yorker anymore, but I guess. No, that's right. No, no, he's. Oh, the caption contest. No, he's not running it anymore, but obviously, I mean, he's a cartoon aficionado, so I'm sure he keeps up on everything that's going on. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, you've, you've done, speaking of Bob, you've had several contests in his cartoon stock, um, several cartoons in his cartoon stock caption contest. Uh, yeah. Um, One in particular is um, a dog at an information booth. Right. Yeah. Remember that. that. <laughs> There was, uh, I know one of them was uh, a man in a suit in an inner tube in a pond. Oh, yeah. yes. Some ducks around him. There's two hunters in the background. Do you recall any from the New Yorker caption contest that you thought were particularly uh, very good or opposite, uh, very bad? Of mine? Yes. Um, no, I, you know, I think that uh, any that I've had in the past, you know, like I said, it's hard to come up with a good caption, I think, anyway, uh, when you're given a drawing. Uh, but no, I don't recall any that I would consider like New Yorker worthy um, gags for caption contests that I've done. Vin no, seems to be able to uh, caption your cartoons very well because I just had a look in the, there's the one you did with uh, the uh, Greek character carrying the earth on his back out the door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Vin got second place on that one. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, the winner was very good, so I, I uh, couldn't be too upset. But next week, I'll move heaven for you was the oh, winner. There you go. <laughs> uh, mostly water weight was the second place. But I did like <laughs> the first place, so it's hard to, uh, hard to argue with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a matter of taste. I kind of like yours a little bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I recall one. This one I recall being very impressed uh, when it was, this is a uh, unicorn mounted on someone's wall, and uh, the winning caption, "Well, of course that. Well, of course they don't exist now," which I thought was, uh, I thought that was very good. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that impressed with that one, um, but it was not an easy one to come up with a funny gag for. I don't think the original, you know, uh, gag that I had for that one was particularly good either. What was the original for that? You remember? Uh, something about ex extinction. Uh, I'm not sure. I I, I, mm -hmm. I don't recall. It was quite a few years. Well, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you have any cartoons in the caption contest bank with them that they uh, haven't run yet? Um, I think I have one actually, but I can't divulge. No, yeah. <laughs> but that would be <laughs> give some people a head start on it. <laughs> Oh, well, I look forward to that. Uh, your drawings are always fantastic, so they're uh, oh. they're fun to work with. Thank you. So, what are you doing now? Do you still submit ten cartoons a week to Emma, or? Yeah, I uh, I try to do ten. Um, sometimes it's seven, and uh, but uh, lately uh, I've been trying a new creative process where I get up at four thirty in the morning and uh, yeah, and start. Uh, working just, you know, as soon as I get out of bed and um, it's working pretty good so far. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, it's like I tried for a while because I'm the kind of person that tends to stay up late. Mm 
<laughs> and you know, you you've probably seen articles like in the New York Times about you know, if you're a, a late riser, you should just go with it and be a late riser. Uh, you know, sometimes you see articles about oh, you should. You know, getting up early, you're more productive. You should do that. And so I sort of tried both, but uh, I tried staying up late and working late and getting up late, but it just doesn't work um, because, uh, you know, there's so many distractions, uh, you know, uh, these days. And what I found getting up at 4.30 in the morning, there's nothing else to do but work. You know, there's, you're not getting emails. Well, I don't open my inbox at that point, but uh, yeah, it just seems like uh, it's more effective, especially for writing. Uh, you know, when you get right out of bed, I just get my coffee and then just start reading through articles and, and brainstorming stuff. And um, I'm so far, I'm finding it very effective. So we'll see how that goes. That's how you come up with ideas, uh, reading articles and yeah. write things down if you see something funny or. Yeah, yeah. I, find, I think my favorite ideas of. Uh, you know, mostly come from journalistic articles that I read. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, you know, it's in a way you're getting an assist from the journalist, you know, because they, they've done, you know, sometimes they'll come up with sort of a humorous thought, uh, which can, I can take even further and combine with other things. Mm-hmm. You're kind of getting a leg up in a way um, when you work off of a journalistic article or a news article. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, because like I said, writing is not, I'm not a comedian. Um, it's not my strong suit. I come from the drawing side. So I need what, you know, as much help as I can get with the process. And uh, I've tried just using my imagination, you know, with a blank piece of paper. But, you know, it's, I don't come up with great stuff that way. Like Sam Gross is is one of my heroes. And uh that's what he does. He just sits down for six hours and just uses his imagination, nothing else. And, but you know, that's, he's talented in that way. I really admire that. And, and you start writing the gags first or do you sit, do you doodle and hope no. something comes out of it or. I've tried doodling. That doesn't do anything for me either. <laughs> I can draw, you know, I can do some nice little drawings, but you know, it doesn't spark ideas for me. Um, and I just feel like I'm sort of lost at sea, <laughs> you know, if I'm just like doodling, it was like, what, what am I doing? You know, uh, for me, you know, uh, reading articles focuses my attention and, um, you know, it's like, it's almost easier, uh, to be given a subject and, and told, okay, come up with a joke on this subject than it is to just sit down and try to come up with something, you know, it's like a creative constraint. Uh, almost in a way uh, gives you more freedom in a sense, because you're, you're, you're focused on a particular subject and um, you know what you're going to write about. You can do some research on it and you can just sort of gather, look at it from many different facets. Um, and yeah, so that's what works for me. And, uh, you know, what I do is I I wake up, you know, like I said, at 4.30 in the morning, get my coffee and then just start reading, you know, through the New Yorker magazine or or whatever else. And to sort of follow my nose and find an article that seems potentially full of ideas. Like, you know, I was reading one about, uh, I don't know if you heard about the GameStop uh, 
scandal on Reddit where some you know Reddit users drove down the price. I think it was of, of uh, a stock that the hedge fund managers were hoping would go up, and you know these billionaires were losing money. And uh, they had an article on that, and uh, that seemed to me a potential because it was topical. You know, mm-hmm. it's always easier you know, to sell something that's topical. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did eventually come up with an idea that I sold to Airmail, which Bob Bankoff is editing these days. And I'd tell you what it is, but it hasn't been published yet, so I can't. <laughs> well, we will watch for it. I have a subscription to Airmail, so. Yeah, you'll see it. You'll okay. see it. It's, it's about Robinhood. You know, Robinhood was the app. Yep. Yeah, but you can see right away, there's all these different associations happening there. So, right. That's why Trump ever- made things so easy. He, uh, mm-hmm. he would say something every day to uh, focus your attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was lots of material in those days. Mm-hmm. And they were very, you know, the New Yorker was very eager to make fun of him. So it was, uh, <laughs> he made, made things pretty easy. That's yeah. true. I could imagine it's a diff- more difficult task now to do the daily cartoon with him out of the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty quiet right now. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty volatile back then. So, yeah, there's less to make fun of with Biden and the, well, the New York is not really eager to, right? Yeah, insult him either. So, uh, mm-hmm. more difficult to do the daily, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever bounce ideas off other cartoonists aside from gag writers that you work with professionally? Do you chat with other cartoonists and bounce your ideas off of them, or you? Uh, no, just- no, I work alone. <laughs> Yeah, I always have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't heard of many other cartoonists doing that. Um, I can't imagine how how you would do that or if you would really want to, because unless you're a team, because uh, mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you bounce ideas off another cartoonist and you come up with an idea that sells, you know, you're going to give them a cut. You know, there's a, a little yeah. bit of uh, ownership issue there so i'm not sure that that would be something that um most cartoonists would want to do yeah some of them have told us there was a group of cartoonists that used to meet in the city every tuesday for the drop-off day okay after that they would go out for lunch um, after and they would talk about the ideas that they had and and bounce them off each other i heard about that yeah Mm -hmm. But the comment that Matt Diffie made about that is that, you know, you know, you have a group of people sitting around and then somebody says something funny mm-hmm. and suddenly all these cartoonists look down and make right. notes on a notepad. You know, <laughs> you know, you're kind of stealing from each other. Right, right. There's a slush pile, too, at the New Yorker that uh, cartoonists would occasionally kind of rifle through for ideas. You know, everybody's up and coming cartoons that they, you know, dropped off there. So that was another one. I can't remember who mentioned that one. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. Have you went and met with Emma? I have, yeah, a couple of times. Uh, you know, early on, just to sort of establish a relationship. And, uh, uh, you know, that's up and going. So I, I haven't traveled to New York recently. But, yeah, that was that was a nice experience. I think twice I've met uh, Emma. Do you notice if she has a different style at all than what Bob had in terms of what she likes? Uh, yes, yes, she does. Um, one thing that I think is good that she's done is she's included, uh, more female cartoonists. 
mm-hmm. uh, I noticed a, a significant difference in that way. You know, sometimes it's, you know, half of the cartoons will be from female cartoonists. So that that's different. Um, definitely her humor, uh, her approach to, uh, well, her taste, I suppose, is, is different. Um, you know, Bob was is a real uh, aficionado of cartooning. He knows the history uh, and he's a real expert. And when he chose cartoons, I'm sure he was also thinking about, you know, the tradition, the New Yorker tradition, um, the kind, uh, the many different kinds of tropes that that um, have shown up in New Yorker. But he also would be thinking about, you know, the anthologies that these would go into, like, you know, a book about golf, you know, lawyer cartoons. And I'm not sure that Emma Allen is really, I'm not saying that she should, but I, I'm not sure that she thinks about it in that way. Mm-hmm. I know Bob would have that sort of in the back of his mind, you know, that we want to have lawyer cartoons. We want to have, you know, because we're going to do anthologies about that. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference there. I think that, I don't think that Emma Allen comes from as strong a cartooning background as Bob Mankoff. And I, I think she was editing written uh, humor before she came into the cartoon job. So there isn't, I don't think there's the same um, familiarity with the tradition of, cart- of New Yorker cartoons. And, uh, but, you know, that's okay. I'm not being critical of that. She, she has sort of a more, you know, the cartoons that I'm seeing now, um, they don't really have a category. Uh, a lot of them couldn't be put into a category. Maybe that's uh, mm-hmm. just a reflection of the younger generation of cartoonists. Yeah. I wonder if it makes them more difficult to sell after the fact, right? I mean, if you do a, a, a dentist cartoon, you would imagine you have a good shot of a dentist buying it for his office or something. Yeah, Whereas exactly. Generic cartoons probably don't sell as well after the after print. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is the, they're not sort of in a category like animal cartoons, lawyer cartoons, you know, doctor cartoons. They're you know, pretty off the wall a lot of the time. Yeah. I notice a lot more, it's, it's a lot more of um, people just like two people just walking down the street having a conversation or, you know, a couple laying in bed having a conversation or, you know, much more of that than, you know more specific scenario. Yeah. It's hard for me to put into words what, what my perception of the how it's changed, but it does have something to do with um, the tradition and the categories, um, the tropes that uh, I don't see so much of that nowadays. It's like, like you said, it can be just sort of a, a lot of slice of life kind of things or, or just really oddball yeah, things that you really couldn't put into a category. And I'm not saying that that's a negative. It's just, I, I, that's a difference, I think. And yeah. of course, Bob was a cartoonist himself. And mm-hmm. he, you know, knew, uh, he was a, an older generation than me. And he was, he, you know, sort of rubbed shoulders with some of those guys that had been doing cartoons through the 50s and 60s for the New Yorker. Yeah. Well, speaking of books, uh, you had one come out a couple of years ago, didn't you? Yeah, I I published a book of my own cartoons. I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, it's the uh, You Only Need One Yes, I think was the title of that one. Yeah, yes, and that was was my, um, yeah, what I wanted to do was um, 
take all the cartoons that I had written, my own material, that didn't sell and that were just sort of sitting in my archive and, you know, put them out there, do something with them. And so I took, yeah, I went through my archive, which is, I think at that point, I probably had 3,000 cartoons that I had done over the years that were just sitting there not really doing anything. And I took my favorite ones and, um, and, you know, self-published the book and, yeah, I was I was happy with that, you know, so they could see the light of day. And I think some people have probably got some. I know some people have got some enjoyment. I've had some good feedback on that. So good. Yeah. And people can get that if they still want to on your website. Uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon is probably the best way just to go right to Amazon and, and uh, uh, search for you only need one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Be my last name, I'm sure would bring that up, too. Yeah. And again, we'll put your website in our show notes because it is a very, a lot of work obviously goes into this website. It's for future cartoonists or aspiring cartoonists. There's a lot of fantastic information. There, um, there is actually, and I'm giving it all away for free <laughs> as I sort of uh, made fun of myself when I was uh, doing the, the or posting the videos that this is all sort of, you know, making an effort to not monetize uh, these videos. It's all free. Yeah. I was going to try, I, when I made the videos at first, it was, I was going to put it on Vimeo and try to rent them to people. But, you know, I just thought, oh, this is my gift to uh, my sort of uh, giving back. Yeah. I- and I mean, it's everything from how to draw it to how to write them to where to yeah. submit them, how to submit them. Uh, so yeah. it really is a soup to nuts. A very, I very good. Gave away all my professional secrets there. So yeah, it's all there. Do you ever consider teaching cartoons? Uh, I did. Yeah, I did think about that. Um, but uh, it takes so much time <laughs> to put batches together every week that uh, I wouldn't have the time to spare. Um, or or I, I could create the time, I suppose, but it would be difficult. It wouldn't be. Uh, and I decided I would just rather, I'd rather create uh, cartoons and be at the drawing board than teach. So how long does a, a draft take, a rough draft that you would submit now? Uh, the drawing itself? Yes. Okay. The drawing itself uh, probably take me about 20 minutes to do a sketch, uh, pencil sketch, and then ink it. Uh, I've got it down to a pretty quick process. I'll do a quick pencil sketch. And, and then I'll, I have these uh, brush pens that I discovered recently. So you don't have to constantly dip the brush in the, in the well of ink. And I can ink it really quick. And yeah, so I'd say about 20 minutes. And then when they buy it, the final, looks like it's a much longer than 20 minute oh, process. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So when I get the sale, um, I start from scratch. And the first thing I do is, is do... I do a quick uh, pencil sketch and I do it quickly because you get sort of a spontaneity uh, at that stage. You can erase, you don't have to worry about making mistakes. So I try to do it uh, you know, as freely and quickly as I can. And then once I've got uh, the pencil sketch that I'm happy with, then I'll uh, use a light board and I'll put a, an expensive piece of art paper over this pencil sketch and then just, um, Choose my favorite lines, uh, basically. Uh, I'll ink over uh, the pencil sketch. And if I screw it up, you know, at that stage, obviously you can't 
uh, race ink, right? So you've got one shot at it. Uh, so because I'm doing it on a light board, if it doesn't work out, I can throw it away and do another one and just keep doing as many versions as I need to until I'm happy with the ink. And uh, yeah, that's sort of the most determined uh, step of the process because, you know, like I said, you can't erase the ink. It's sort of a one-shot deal. So um, once I've got that, then, and that's the pencil sketch I'll usually do the first day and the inking I'll usually do the second day. And then once I'm happy with the ink, the inked version, then I'll do the wash. And that's what I do on the third day. Have you ever thought about uh, going to a computer at all? Or uh, not, for New York or, not for New Yorker cartoons. I do for uh, other stuff uh, where I'm getting paid less. And it's, uh, you know, depending on how much I'm getting paid, that's how much time I'm going to spend. So if it's, you know, it's a lower rate, then I'm going to do something quickly. But for the New Yorker, uh, I like to try to be a part of the tradition of the magazine, uh, particularly the, uh, the earlier tradition that, uh, you know, the fifties and sixties where the artwork was a lot of the times was really good. And there's some cartoonists that I admire a lot from that time. And I do my best to, uh, you know, uh, reach that, that standard. Uh, well, I think you've met it because I'm, I'm looking at the last cartoon you had in the New Yorker, the mugger. With yeah. uh, the caption was uh, "Don't worry, I'll in I'll invest your money in socially responsible companies." Yeah, I mean, just the wash on that, just just amazing. Yeah, thanks. And that took me a long time to figure out. Uh, you know, I'm just getting to a point now where I'm I'm I think I figured out how I I'm finally getting the effect um, that I want with the wash. And it took me a long time because there's no books on this. You know, uh, no, there's no, it's like this was a trade secret. When you look at the guys who did stuff in the 50s and 60s and the way they did it, there's no books on that. And I've looked, you know, and there's nowhere where it tells you how to do that. And I'm sure that these guys sort of, you know, kept their cards close to their chest in, in that sense uh, and didn't really share that. Um, and so for the last 10 years, I've been trying to figure out how they did it. And it's just been tri trial and error. But I'm starting starting to get it, I think, a little bit with that cartoon in particular that you yeah. pointed out, actually. Yeah, you're, you're, you're getting it there. I think you're I think you're hitting on it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting that you noticed that because that's the first time I thought, oh, wow. So that's how kind of how they were doing it, you know, and I won't tell you what I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, darn. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? When you look at you have to figure it out like I did. <laughs> do you ever get bitter or any type of feelings about the cartoonist to... Uh, are not putting that much time into their drawings. Personally, I uh, love the fact that the New Yorker varies it from very simplistic art to very detailed stuff like yours. In other words, last week we had Michael Shaw, whose cartoons yeah. do not take as much time as yours do. Yeah. Uh, do you look at that with jealousy or any type of feeling of, hmm, that's not, he's not putting the, uh, yeah, the I'm familiar with his work and you know, that's okay. Uh, you know, it's the idea that's important, mm -hmm. um, but no, it's, it's, I did early on feel a little bit resentful. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's quite the right word, but it was a little bit like, yeah, there was kind of a little bit of feeling like, you know, uh, like the tradition, the drawing tradition was always really important to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when somebody wasn't meeting that, and I'm talking about early years, this isn't now, but 
but yeah. early on when I was first doing it, I, I felt like they weren't, you know, measuring up uh, in a way to to the tradition that was really important to me uh, of drawing from the New Yorker. But eventually, I just sort of realized that that's really not what's important. That's just me. That's how I feel about it. The drawing is important to me, but uh, it's the idea that matters. It, it's not the drawing that matters. And, you know, like Edward Steed, for example, his drawings uh, are not like mine. They're not like tradition to tradition of the New Yorker, but they're perfect for his style of humor. You know, I, I admire his work. I've never met the guy, but he's unique in that, uh, his he's got like a um he's visionary i would say and his he's one of these people that whose ideas uh and his drawing just works together uh it seems effortlessly and his, his drawing style almost makes me anxious and uncomfortable to look at but it's funny. It goes with his cartoons because some of his cartoons make me anxious and uncomfortable. It's just like a thing, you know, for him, it's just like, uh, it's just the, the idea and the drawing is just like one, one thing. Yeah. It's just, and yet they're not, yeah, I guess you would call it art brute. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, excellent draftsmanship or anything, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. Right. It, it works for his uh, humor. It just, mm -hmm. it, it's a good blend of, is offbeat humor and the art itself is offbeat so it, it works it does yeah 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 i, I love i do love the different drawing styles but i always wonder if the the cartoonists like yourself and like drew dernovich who i know spend a very long time if yeah. they look at you know someone like michael shaw or ed steed and think huh he didn't uh he didn't put in the the, the time yeah. that i did and i can see no, I a little no, yeah, I, I've never felt that way about Ed Steed's drawings because, like I said, there's just something about them that they are good. They're not. I wouldn't even say that they were badly drawn. Uh, it's not that at all. His his, it's an art brute. But there are other cartoonists or other cartoons that I've seen in the New Yorker that I just thought, you know, that's just somebody who can't draw well, and it's just a bad drawing. It's just like this is somebody who's trying to draw well. And they're not doing it. And, and there have been times when I thought, you know, I don't like to see that in the magazine. But, you know, it is the idea that matters. Yeah. And like, there's a difference between art brute and somebody who just can't draw well and who's trying to draw well and it's not coming off. There, there's a difference there. Well, that's, that's why the New Yorker has you do 10 drawings a week for 10 years before they accept one of your drawings. They just want to make sure you're good at it by the time they start buying your drawings. Yeah. Yeah. So a cartoonist like you, I can't imagine you would have been able to persist for 10 years as some cartoonists have. You know, I think it took Bob 15 years or something to actually get in, whereas you got in relatively quickly. But I don't know if you could have went five years, considering, as you said, you were doing morning to night just to come up with 10. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, I would have. Um, it's it's not really sustainable uh, if you're not getting anything back uh, right. to do it that way. Um, but I think that I think the conclusion that I came to was that you know if you're starting out as a cartoonist, you should get a day job uh, to take the pressure off of of selling. You sh you know you want. I think it was Oscar Wilde or something that said that 
you know, his advice to an aspiring novelist was to get a job so that you take the pressure off the creativity. It's really important not to, uh, for, not for your creativity, not to be pressured by the need to make a living. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for somebody who's just starting out, I would just, you know, if, it, if it's really important to you to get into the magazine market, get a day job so you don't have to worry about, you know, supporting yourself by selling your cartoons and then just make a commitment to being a cartoonist and regardless of whether or not anybody buys your stuff. Because that was my attitude when I decided I was going to sell to the New Yorker was I was just going to keep doing it, you know, for the rest of my life, if necessary, whether, you know, Bob Mankoff liked it or not. I think I actually wrote that on my blog or something like that. (laughs) And that was my attitude when I started. I was just going to do it, you know, whether I sold or not. So I think you kind of have to have that commitment. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a very long dry spell where you haven't sold and you've gotten worried about it or? Yes. Pretty much consistent. <laughs> yes, I think it was a year before I sold my second cartoon. Oh wow! Yeah. So, yeah. but I wasn't worried about it. Um, uh, maybe frustrated, maybe or wishing that I was selling more, but I wouldn't say that uh, I w- it worried me. Um, I just, you know, it felt like it would just be a matter of time before I sold another one. And at that point, you did you have a day job? I did. Yeah. A job. Yeah, it, uh, it took a while to get to the point where I could support myself because now, uh, you know, I have after having done hunt, uh, sold hundreds of cartoons, uh, you start to get licensing revenue, um, mm-hmm. especially the ones that sell to the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. So that's half my income there is the licensing revenue um, that, you know, when the cartoons are sold over and over again, you know, mm-hmm. for you know, a variety of reasons. And, and Bob Mankoff has been great. In that regard, he's been so supportive uh, for cartoonists in general. He's been a real champion for cartoonists. And when, when it comes to the Cartoon Bank, which he's he started up, and, and now Cartoon Stock, which he's now running. And I think he was the one who kind of invented that idea mm-hmm. of, of relicensing or licensing uh, previously sold cartoons. Oh, well, we've had you, uh, looks like, a little over an hour now. So uh, I don't like to keep the guests longer than an hour. I want to be respectfully at time. And I have a lot of cartooning to get up and do tomorrow at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, well, if you can do it, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't draw to save my life. I wish I could, but I don't know if drawing is a talent you can learn if you're really, really bad. I Because I took an art class and I uh, two, two classes in, I said, I'm wasting my time. I, I think you just have it or you don't. You can get better, but I don't think you can go from horrible decent yeah that's a really good question and i don't know the answer to that because i've never had that problem but uh, (laughs) i had that problem with music um and i think you're probably right you know there is a certain uh, there is something you know about talent uh that you can't you know my experience in music was i couldn't develop talent if you don't have it so i guess that's true for drawing too yeah i have that problem with dancing (laughs) <laughs> try as hard as I can to dance and I cannot dance to save my life. So. <laughs> oh, well, thanks again for jumping on. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, love your cartoons. Sounds like you have one in the bank for the caption contest. So I look forward to that because yours are always fun to work with. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
Yes. And like I said, we will put your website in the show notes. Hopefully that gets some traffic because especially for aspiring cartoonists, it is a fantastic website. Good. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This was great. Thank you. Okay, take care.